With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to my 27th episode of the show. I use my show to help raise the awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I also love to provide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and also to help you to better protect your privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player.fm, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, or whatever your favorite podcast app is, or you can subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel site. Also, please check out my websites, Symbus360.com and PrivacyGuidance.com. And I'm now teaching live some online IAPP privacy certification classes. Send me an email if you want to know more about these or go to AshleyTrainingOnline.com. My July Privacy Professor Tips message was published on June 28th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, sign up for them. They are always free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. And please send me an email letting me know who is your privacy hero. It can be at your work or in your personal life. I'm recognizing privacy heroes in my monthly tips messages throughout 2018. So my tip of the week now relates to our topic today. You know, many people who want to get into information security and IT and privacy careers, they post their resumes and sometimes even their background checks or medical checkups and other sensitive data to career and job sites. And there are many of these sites out there. For example, a few of them include clearedjobs.net, Glassdoor, Clearance Jobs, Indeed, iHireTechnology.com, CyberSec Jobs, and probably a hundred others. There are really a lot of them. But the problem is that many of these sites are not properly secured or they have huge security vulnerabilities. Here's a recent example. In June of this year, 2018, a huge hack occurred of PageUp. PageUp is an HR resources recruitment company in Australia. And in this hack, there were data of tens of thousands of people that the recruitment organization uh, organization had collected. Now, the breach involved personal information 
that were actually within the, the personnel files that were held on behalf of many organizations. And some of these included Australia's Treasury Department, the Federal Attorney General's Department, the RBA, the lawyers Maurice Blackburn, the National Broadcaster, the ABC, and a lot of you probably recognize that as a, a news agency, and their biggest tel- uh, telco, Telstra, and many, many other huge organizations. You know, I found no details about how the breach happened beyond page up indicating that it was, quote, a coordinated attack, end quote. So here are my tips for today. Before you use a career positions posting site, even if it is posting on information security jobs or privacy jobs, first out your privacy information security notices. If they do not have such notices, don't use the site. If they have not updated notices in the past year, then don't use the site. If they're not using encryption so that you can't tell if they're using HTTPS or SSL encryption, do not use the site. If they do not allow you to encrypt your sensitive files that you're asked to upload, then do not use the site. In short, if there are any indications that the site is not adequately secured, either don't use the site Or if you feel you have to or have been asked to, do not post anything on it that you would not want the entire world to see. So today I'm continuing my series of shows on careers. Now we've done several shows on careers so far, such as with Karen Worstel and Cindy Rockwell and several others. And I've gotten a lot of really great feedback on those shows, and I've gotten many requests to do more shows. And some of them are asking, well, what type of education is recommended to get into information security, privacy, or IT careers? And and what are the careers and topics that are really hot right now, and are there any to avoid? So... We're going to discuss that today. Now, before I introduce my valued and esteemed guest to chat with me about these things, though, I want to provide a pointer, and I also want to provide a good resource for you and a few statistics. So something that I don't think a lot of people realize, but last year, the U.S. National Institute for Standards and Technology, or NIST for short, They released the NICE, N-I-C-E, and it's all caps, it's an acronym, the NICE Cybersecurity Workforce Framework Special Publication 800-181, and that's Special Publication 800-181. That publication categorizes and describes cybersecurity work and also those who do the work and their capabilities and responsibilities. And it's irrespective of where or for whom the work is performed. The NICE framework was intended to be applied to the public and private and academic sector. So check that out at the NIST.gov site and you might find that to be a helpful resource for you. Last week, 
or earlier in July, um, Gartner released the findings from their 2018 CIO agenda survey, and they gathered data from 3,160 CIO respondents in 98 countries and across several major industries. They reported that despite 95% of CIOs who were expecting uh, their cyber threats against their organizations to increase over the next three years, 35% of those organizations currently do not have a cybersecurity expert on their payroll. The survey also revealed that there were skills challenges with finding someone who could do digital security. And digital security staffing shortages was also determined to be considered a top inhibitor to these organizations, to their innovation for their products and services that they created. This doesn't really surprise me, though. We've seen organizations struggle to find and keep or to fund information security professionals. Many use contracted consultants who are information security experts when they can't hire full-time employees and they put these experts on retainer. Now, full disclosure, I provide such retainer services to many of my own clients. But, you know, I'm happy I can provide that assistance because oftentimes the organizations cannot get the budget to have full-time employees. So they find engaging an expert on a retainer is a cost-effective way to address that need. And I don't know if the Gartner survey covered that particular option or aspect or not, but I thought it was interesting and I wanted to offer that as another type of career path for consideration for our discussion today. So what if you are interested in getting into the information security career or maybe looking at other areas of information security to move your career towards. You know, what classes should you be taking? Should you be taking classes? What areas are in most demand? Well, I have the perfect person to discuss this with today. Today, my guest is Dr. Mish Kabei who I really do credit with helping to raise my own interest in this field back at the very first information security class that I attended. And it was in, I believe, 1991, possibly 92, but I'm thinking 1991 in Washington, D.C. And I'm sure that Mish does not remember me in that class because he has taught so many information security classes over the years. Dr. Kabay is a Ph.D. and a CISSP, and he began his programming in 1965. After completing his Ph.D. in 1976, he taught statistics and programming for the Canadian International Development Agency. After working as a programmer on a computer for a new 4GL, he joined Hewlett-Packard Canada as an HP 3000 systems engineer. He founded his own operations management consulting firm in 1986 and became director of education for the National Computer Security Association in 1990. Mish was a columnist for Computer World 
and network world. And Misha was responsible for the first and second international conferences on information warfare in 1993 and 1995. I think I was actually at that 1995 conference. The ISC Squared asked him to help create the CISSP exam in 1996. He was hired by Norwich University in 2001 to create the uh, the Bachelors of Science and Masters of Science programs in Information Assurance, and he was hired by Wiley Publishers to redesign and edit the 4th, 5th, and 6th editions of the Computer Security Handbook. Mish was inducted into the ISSA Hall of Fame in 2004. Mish is currently Professor of Computer Information Systems at Norwich University in truly beautiful Northfield, Vermont. You can see more about Dr. Cabay at mekabay.com. That's M-E-K-A-B-A-Y.com. Mish, thank you so very much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thank you, Rebecca. It's a great pleasure. Well, it's always so nice to speak with you. And today, this is such a hot topic, talking about careers, because we have so many people interested. And at the same time, as you heard probably from my stats, there's a a great need for more people out there. So, you know, how have you seen throughout your career, how have you seen the careers in the IT field and in information security in particular, how have they changed from the 1980s or even, you know, before to today? I think that the penetration of information processing into all aspects of our society has generated an awareness, growing awareness, of the dangers of being silly. (laughs) (laughs) We cannot store valuable information that can harm the data subjects when it's personally identifiable information or PII, and we can't tolerate having industrial espionage and sabotage affect the critical infrastructure of our countries and indeed the world, or to destroy competitive advantage of organizations. So this growing awareness has led to a massive increase in the number of people who are needed to support information assurance worldwide and in the United States. Well, you know, early on, as you're talking about, all of the the data, it's we have so much now, and it's generated all the time, continuously. But it's so different. I mean, I remember I started as a systems engineer on an IBM 390, and it was very much controlled. But, you know, even back then, in just one centralized controlled system, uh, there were still a lot of security risks. And now it's just gone way beyond one centralized system. So let's compare kind of what we have today with what we had back in, let's say, the 1990s. What were the hot jobs that you saw in information security in the 1990s? Well, my recollection um, was is that we were still working on legacy security. There was clearly a need, and there still is, for facilities security, for physical security, for attention to 
the network architectures. But the biggest change is the the gradual and then explosive increase in connectivity. I think we can agree just from thinking back that from the early days of networking, when basically almost everything was local area networking with actual physical cables, mm-hmm. to the explosion of the World Wide Web as a function of the growing internet starting around 1993 when the .com uh, top-level domain was opened, we have seen an enormous change in the threat configuration where we used to be primarily concerned about insider crime, access by people who were either authorized to play with our corporate or private data, or people who were physically in the locations where the data storage and data processing were happening. Now, unless we take care, we have the entire planet to be concerned about. So I think that connectivity is one of the major changes that has altered the threat landscape and therefore the needs of our information assurance community. Well, and that those connections, I mean, I think back um, in the 1990s where I was working, it was my responsibility to establish the security for our connection out from the network to the internet. It was one pathway. And today, just look at what we have. I mean, we have multiple pathways to get in to uh, different types of networks. We used to have talk about, you know, having a hardened perimeter, but now we don't really have a perimeter. We have, you know, a, a kind of like a, a sieve. <laughs> it's just, you know, you have uh, holes throughout the entire outline of your network. So what are the hot jobs and careers that you see people are coming and asking to have, you know, your students to apply to today and what your students are really interested in going into? Well, I think your special area of expertise, although you have a broad background, but privacy has increasingly been, I would guess, at the top of the list of needs and jobs. It seems to me that the entire world, but specifically let's talk about the United States, has become aware of the dangers of losing control over information that can be used for evil purposes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the uh, protection of elements of what we call the Parkerian hexad that are particularly important. These are the fundamental attributes of information that we are charged with protecting. We have protection of confidentiality, that is the ability to restrict access to specific um, parties that we want to have access. And then the separate issue of control, which is finding out and, and restricting what other people can do 
with information that has been released. It's one thing for us to say, I am going to limit distribution of this document on our planned new product to the product team. That's an issue of confidentiality. But once we have released the information to the authorized personnel, the second element becomes control. Do we have a mechanism to ensure that the confidentiality will be preserved? In addition, the control can even refer to release of information that isn't being read yet, Mm -hmm. but could be. And the example I always use, uh, a homely example, is if you have a country mailbox on a stick on a country road, the way we do way out here in Vermont, if someone takes an envelope from your mailbox and opens it to see your new uh, visa card, that's clearly a breach of confidentiality. But if they take the envelope and they don't open it, they haven't breached confidentiality yet, but they have breached uh, the control over what is being done. Young people haven't necessarily figured out that if they release embarrassing pictures of themselves to people they think of as buddies, they may hope that their confidentiality is preserved, but they've lost control. And as we all know, there's been a terrible rash over the last decade of bullying using pictures that ought probably never to have been released. So those are just some examples of um, issues of, you can call it privacy, referring to confidentiality of data and control over what happens to the data. But there's many other aspects. Uh, Rebecca, I'm sure you've seen an enormous rise in the demands for appropriate legal compliance. Mm -hmm. For example, we have new laws over the last 20 years. They're new to us, or at least to me, I'm, I'm old. But laws such as the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA, and uh, the issues such as the Graham-Leach-Bliley uh, and, and other aspects of regulatory controls have a great effect on organizations of any kind. There is a need to be aware of the constraints of these regulations and monitoring of compliance. So I think those um, elements have become increasingly important. All of us have seen the interest in international business, interest in the recently passed regulations in the European Union. Now, we've long had a difference in privacy constraints. Uh, The European Privacy Directive, for example, was far more serious, far more constraining than U.S. laws. But now, I think that because of international trade as an important element of our economy, many organizations are having to pay attention to the European Union and other organizations that pass strict controls governing the protection of information of all kinds, including PII, personally identifiable information. Well, so those are some uh, thoughts. 
Uh, yeah, and you know, something I, I, I want to... We are seeing a growing interest because of this latter point of compliance, mm-hmm. growing interest in combining knowledge of information assurance with training in the law. And I can tell you, it's absolutely clear. Anybody who has a degree, a baccalaureate or a master's or, or beyond in information assurance and a law degree is guaranteed not only an interesting career, but a highly well-paid career. These are <laughs> hot topics in our world today. One other thought, uh, Rebecca, mm-hmm. um, digital forensics, mm. in a way related to the legal issues, but more on, on the side of investigation for either malfeasance or outright criminality, Digital forensics is growing. We're seeing an increasing number of degrees. We at Norwich University hired a brilliant digital forensics expert. Um, The founder of the digital forensics program, I think, is well known to you and and perhaps some listeners, and that's Dr. Peter Stephenson. He did a wonderful job getting us started on that, and then uh, he, he decided to retire. And now Dr. Hugh Reed at uh, Norwich University has pushed the boundaries of digital forensics with new courses, new techniques, um, lots of excellent laboratory training and uh, mobile phone forensics as well as uh, computer forensics of all kind, uh, data recovery tools and so on. So I think those are are, uh, interesting areas. Yes, well, very good areas, too, and just an FYI for you, uh, Dr. Stevenson was actually a guest on my show um, recently as well, talking about digital forensics. So, Great. Yeah, so that would be a good thing. Uh, if, if you've piqued the interest of some of our listeners to learn more about that, they can listen to, to that show and get a lot of good information about what's going on. We're coming yes. to... Yeah, we're, we're coming to a, a stop here just for a break for our sponsors. But when we get back, I want to uh, revisit something that you mentioned earlier because I think it was uh, something that needs to be restated again. So uh, right now, Mish, it's time for a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. We're speaking about information security careers today with Dr. Mish Kabe, Professor of Computer Information Systems at Norwich University. I'm your host, Rebecca Harrell, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHarrell at RebeccaHarrell.com, and also through my website, Symbus360.com, PrivacyGuidance.com, and my LinkedIn site. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, 
breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Simbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Simbus system. Visit Simbus360.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. Today we are speaking with Dr. Mish Kabe, Professor of Computer Information Systems at Norwich University, about information security education, and careers. So now let's continue our conversation. I want to revisit something that Mish brought up before the break. And I think it's so important because I think it's a concept that we need to uh, apply more than ever, but most people don't even know about it. And that's the Parkerian Hexad. Uh, Mish, can you explain for our listeners what the Parkerian Hexad is all about? Sure. Um, Many listeners will have become familiar with what we call the classic triad of information security developed in the 1970s, mostly by the United States military and adopted uh, worldwide. And that's C, I, and A, which stands for confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And those are fine. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. Confidentiality refers to the uh, degree to which information is shareable or shared. Integrity refers to the correctness of information that is stored and then retrieved. And availability refers to the functional definitions of how fast information should be literally available. Clearly, if you are uh, Amazon.com 
and it took 20 minutes for a page to be shown on the screen, this would be a breach of availability. If you are Amazon.com and a notepad of paper is listed as costing $14,823, there's a problem with the integrity of the data. And then we talked about confidentiality. If you're Amazon.com and somebody can cheerfully type in a random number in a URL and get a complete listing of somebody else's purchases, bank account number, credit card number, and so on, clearly that's a breach of confidentiality. But there are three other aspects of information that are quite separate from the three we have mentioned. In a, we've already discussed briefly the concept of control, separate from confidentiality, because if somebody steals your backup drive, they may not have breached confidentiality because they haven't looked at looked inside it yet, but they can, and that's a breach of control over your information. The other, uh, the, the, the second element that's been added, and this is by Don Parker, a dear friend and a highly respected expert in the field. He created the Hexad way back in the 1970s, and um, uh, I uh, picked up on publicizing it for him. But the, the next issue is authenticity. Now, authenticity means the correct attribution of information or labeling or description of information. And here are some examples of breaches of authenticity. The first one is a real case. Some years ago, a small group of students at Concord High School sent death threats to the President of the United States using a fake email address. Of course, they were idiots and they had no clue (laughs) that the Uh, email headers would reveal the exact IP addresses uh, of the origin of the email and so on. And within two hours, agents of the Secret Service from the Boston office were in Concord uh, investigating and arresting the the idiots. That's clearly a breach of authenticity. They, They lied. They described the email as coming from somebody who, and it wasn't true. Other examples of breaches of authenticity would be plagiarism where someone claims that information is theirs. The last, uh, in addition to availability, there's another feature of information that we must protect, and that's called utility or usefulness. And um, the example that I use is, what would happen if your bank records were suddenly converted correctly into euros? Now, we're not talking about a breach of confidentiality or anything like that. It's just that the numbers are no longer in U.S. dollars. They're in euros. Well, for most of us in the United States, that representation of the data would not be terribly useful. So that's a breach of utility. And um, that set of six attributes is becoming known as the Parkerian hexad. I, I just made it up. Uh, I made up the name, Parker. Oh, you Parker. did? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and then Hexad, because it's different from a triad, it's got six elements. So those are the fundamentals of what we protect in information assurance. 
You know, and I think they were so forward thinking because when you think about today, for those three, uh, the additional three items beyond the CIA, you know, back when we were first learning them and back when I was teaching at Norwich University and teaching about that, a lot of times people couldn't really get the concept of control and authenticity and utility. There was a lot of discussions about, well, those those fall under CIA, you know, it's redundant. But really today, I mean, just think about, let's say with Facebook, you know how they gave access to those third parties to get into their actual architecture and they did not create the security controls to keep those third parties from getting to Facebook accounts and taking that data and then using it for other things. They completely lost control of how the data was used, and they were depending only upon contractual requirements. They were saying, oh, well, we told them they couldn't use it for this or that. Well, there were no restrictions, so there were no controls there. And I think people can really get that now. Um, and to the authenticity, you know, Mish on uh, Twitter there are so many fake accounts out there and they make up all these different stories and they spread them. And we know with the, the Russian hacking and the arrest there, a lot of that had to do with fake accounts and those weren't authentic accounts, right? So that kind of falls into the authenticity problem too of just the data that's being spread and being used as being real. Um, so it, it's really interesting to me, Mish, how those concepts that were formed so long ago now truly are, I think, becoming even more applicable today than they ever have been before. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, you know, so you mentioned before the break, and I love this, you're talking about how if folks got a, a degree in information security and in law, that would make them you know, some very, give them some very lucrative uh, career choices. So let's take that a little bit further when it comes to taking university classes and getting degrees. And, you know, this is not just for those out of high school entering uh, college for the first time, but there's a lot of folks who are changing careers, you know, in the middle of their adult years, or even they've retired and now they want to do new types of careers. Where do you see students making the biggest mistakes when they are choosing classes to pursue certain types of information security careers and when they're getting master's degrees or getting PhDs and doctorates? I think the choices of educational path should depend on the, the primary interests of these students. Mm-hmm. I have no problem having a student who already knows that they are interested in secure architectures for microprocessors taking a degree in electrical engineering. That's not a problem. That's fine. Mm -hmm. What I do think is a problem is having people who are interested in but don't know very much about information assurance, that is the wider field, who erroneously believe that the only information or knowledge or skills that they need 
are entirely technical, and I don't agree with that view. Mm-hmm. If someone wants to work in organizations to improve information assurance, it seems to me, and I put this in effect in our own degrees at Norwich, that there ought to be a broad background with many skills for good analysis, communications, the ability to observe, to test ideas or hypotheses, not to take things for granted, not to let established beliefs cloud our sense of observation and rational discussion. These are general principles. I don't want someone walking into an information, let's, let's say a privacy officer. Let's take that, Rebecca, because you have very detailed knowledge of this field. I don't think a privacy officer ought to have only a degree that focused on programming computers and possibly reading something about legal regulations. It seems to me that a privacy officer ought to have a broad background. She should, for example, have taken courses and mastered them in psychology, especially social psychology, that is the psychology of groups of people and how groups of people either resist or accept and integrate change. Those are useful insights. Mm -hmm. How about the ability to communicate effectively? Can you imagine if a privacy officer were not able to express the principles When she is speaking with other people in the organization, that doesn't make sense. So the ability to articulate, the ability to analyze information, pick out the order in which information should be conveyed, the ability to write effectively. So often we have to justify what we are proposing in written communications to upper management. If we write with the skill of a five-year-old, it's (laughs) not going to get the same results as a well-crafted, thoughtful, and entirely professional level of communication in writing. So those are examples of where I think, just some examples, Mm -hmm. I think that some aspects of security will benefit highly from a background that includes mathematics for representing relations that are numerical. And of course, I'm totally biased as an applied (laughs) statistician, but I've already written about the value of applied statistics in computer science, computer management, and information assurance. The example that I've often used to explain this to students is that if we are, for example, analyzing log files trying to identify correlates of penetration, successful and unsuccessful penetration, we might have dozens or more of variables that are in the log file. Wouldn't it be great if 
the person analyzing the log files can easily do correlation analysis to figure out which of the factors are correlated with the occurrences of breaches. So at least he or she can start the investigation with the most probable factors instead of having to go through dozens one by one in no particular order. That's just a simple example of some non-information security knowledge, skills, and approaches that can be of enormous value to in our field. Oh, I think those are great examples. And, you know, I had to chuckle a little bit when I heard you talk about writing because in this past year, sometimes I get people that want me, you know, they say, hey, can you read this article? I want to submit it and try to get it published. And this one paper came in the last year. I won't say about what or by whom, but uh, I found so many just writing problems. And you know what I'm talking about after reading, you know, all these essays from our master's students that they uh, submit. And I said, I gave feedback. I said, you know, it looks like you wrote this like as text messages, really. And, um, you know, when someone asks for your feedback and you give it, sometimes they get a little offended and they got kind of offended at me. And they said, well, that people are used to reading text messages. So why is that a problem? And right there, I thought, okay, <laughs> if that's if the, that's the way you're going to think about it, you're going to limit your career uh, pathways if you if you don't want to communicate well or think about your your words and how they're being presented. So, and I know you see a lot of that with your essays from your students too, uh, from your classes and and other uh, sources. You know, one other area I'm curious to know your opinion on is uh, the ability for critical thinking. And I bring this up because, um, as you might know, maybe you don't know this, but I taught 7th through 12th grade math and computing between getting my bachelor's and master's degree. And for my master's uh, project, I created a software for teaching critical thinking because I thought it was just so important. And what I'm seeing today is so many who are creating systems and websites and, and doing big data analytics and artificial intelligence, it seems like they don't go through a lot of the critical thinking processes that are truly necessary to ensure that you're addressing everything comprehensively. I don't know what your thoughts about that are, if you've, or if you've even thought about critical thinking skills. Well, uh, indeed, um, very much so. Uh, I have three mottos on the back of my business card that I hand out to all of our students and anybody else. And motto number one is reality trumps theory. That is, pay attention to what is actually happening, not to what you think ought to be happening. Don't Mm -hmm. let uh, existing preconceptions cloud your sense of observation. That's partly, that's an element of critical thinking. The second one is question authority. And I don't mean throw tomatoes at at your boss. I'm talking (laughs) about don't take it for granted that what is said by a person in positional authority is necessarily correct. Think about it. No, it doesn't mean you have to object or interrupt them or anything of the kind. But don't let it go. If you don't understand something, 
pursue it until you do. Now, it may be that the clarification will work and you will say, oh, I see. Okay, that makes sense. It is also possible that there will not be an acceptable explanation and you have to decide as an adult what you're going to do about it. If it's an important issue, you may have to protest, to fight it, always keep make it civil, don't, uh, don't get into ad hominem arguments, but if it's important, you don't let it go. I have a good example mm-hmm. for uh, the listeners of a case where uh, question authority led to uh, laughter. Oh. In, uh, in the 1980s, I was an adjunct professor at the John Abbott College in the west end of, of Montreal. I taught programming and database and, and the like. Uh, and technical support, and I took my 30 students in the John Abbott College Programmers course, a degree course, to an Oracle lecture. This was around, oh, 1985 maybe, and um, I told them, look, there are going to be hundreds of people there. You, I want you to dress professionally. Uh, you should have business cards, and who knows, maybe you'll even get contacts that could lead to jobs. So you take this seriously. And indeed, uh, you know, we go into the auditorium at uh, Place Ville-Marie, and uh, we had oh, about 300 people in the audience, and our 30 students were right there. During the lecture on the new version of Oracle, a major database, as, as many of you know, the speaker said, and so we used the matrix analytical method to resolve the question. Now, we were allowed to ask questions during the talk. I say that because I wasn't being rude. So mm-hmm. I put up my hand politely and he said, yes. I said, I'm sorry, I said loudly and clearly, I don't know what the matrix analytical method is. Well, the speaker's eyes widened and he looked terrified and he said, I don't either. (laughs) These aren't my slides. (laughs) You can imagine the reaction of the audience. I mean, we all, it wasn't nasty, but we all had a good laugh about it. The reason I mention it is that about 20 years later, One of my students who had graduated in the 1980s wrote to me, found me on the web. He wrote to me and said, hi, Professor Cabet, you may remember me and so on and so forth. And to my astonishment, he added, and I'll never forget how you demonstrated that you really meant it when you said question authority in the (laughs) audience with hundreds of people and you asked the Oracle guy, a uh, question about his slide. Well, that's for real, folks. <laughs> that's questioning authority. That's critical thinking. That's not sliding away from something we don't understand. It is to say, I will understand. If it's yes. wrong, that's fine. I'm not going to make a fuss or laugh or do anything like that. But I'm not going to let something go by that I don't understand because that's my responsibility as an adult and as a professional. So critical thinking, you think carefully. We have a problem of lack of critical thinking, not only in any profession, but in the public at large, as we well know, and I'm not going into politics, I'm simply pointing out that when there are people who appear to believe sincerely 
that the Earth is a disk, <laughs> not an oblate spheroid. Mm-hmm. We have a problem with critical thinking, and I doubt very much that there are any flat earthers in the audience today. Well, <laughs> I do recommend a serious discussion with psychiatric professionals. <laughs> very, very good point, and I think to to your story, which I loved, uh, I think it's important. It. it verifies information security is not a field where you can fake it till you make it right i mean you have to know your stuff and we we've seen i'm sure you've seen folks who get up and they try to be experts in an area but then they're caught like you uh, you revealed your speaker but your speaker handled it well i think if he admitted it it you don't want to fake it uh, because you'll never make it in information security if you try to do it that way. So, uh, well, Rebecca, I, I make a point for all of our students. Every class has a discussion at the beginning about principles, uh, um, tools for learning and the like. And I think that um, some of you asked earlier about mistakes that people can make in their educational path and and will extend that to their interactions with possible employers. And here are some of the guidelines that I've been teaching for decades. One of them is it is not enough to get an A, you know, a perfect grade in a Mm -hmm. course. That's not enough. What we want is to have integrated the knowledge, the knowledge of concepts, of terminology, of reasoning, of cases. We want to integrate that into our world view. That's developing expertise. Mm -hmm. Simply passing some quizzes and exams and then forgetting is absolutely unprofessional. I have another case for you, uh, very quick. Back when I was a master's student, one of the students in my class, and I can use her first name, of course I won't use the last name, was Susan. Mm -hmm. And um, Susan asked me a question, and of course I I helped, uh, I urge everyone to be helpful, but I was really puzzled and I said, Susan, of course I'm glad to to help and, and clarify that, but you know, that's a fundamental concept in the course, and you got an A in the course. What happened? She laughed and said, oh, I just cram the night before the exam, and then I forget everything within a few days. Yikes. <laughs> and I said, really? You're pre-med. I hope oh. we stay in touch so that I can avoid getting sick where you are practicing medicine. At this point, she never spoke to me again. <laughs> well, but, but you that's, were... That's important. It is important. game. We're trying to contribute to our world. And the way we do that is by taking our studies seriously. Yes. That's an element, I think, that is important. Some well, other elements. Well, so, we're down to just, believe it or not, we only have a minute left. Oh, so, okay. Yes. Yeah, so I think if you have maybe one minute to just give some parting okay. thoughts. Well, here's well, some last thoughts. Yes. Hey, folks, keep learning all the time. That's, that's, in, that's true for life, but boy, is it true for information assurance. Mm-hmm. I mean, the landscape is changing every day with new threats, new vulnerabilities. Be flexible. 
adapt to reality. Don't stick to preconceived rules. Help others improve. It's good for them and it's good for you. Listen to what your clients are saying. And yeah, yeah, I'm talking about people you work for, users in your organization, because security personnel, like all IT personnel, except in software firms, are working for the people who actually get the work done. So pay attention and listen. And then um, I think uh, general principle, work on continuous process improvement. Welcome corrections and suggestions. Don't resist and get angry. Be grateful. And that's, that's about all. That's very good. Those are excellent. So thank you so much, Mish, for being on the show today. It's a great pleasure, Rebecca. Well, today we've been speaking with Dr. Mish Kabay, Professor of Computer Information Systems at Norwich University about information security education and careers and giving advice. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. Please tune into the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you can be able to um, listen to our recordings. You can find recordings of all my past shows on your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Stitcher, and all the others. And you can find my show on voiceamerica.com business channel website. Also, contact me if you have any need for information, security, privacy, or compliance keynotes or any other types of help. And also, I urge you to notice and stay aware of information, security, and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, do your daily work, or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured. And make sure that people are not infringing on your privacy. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.